Good morning, everyone. Nice to see all of you gathered together here this morning to sing the Word and pray the Word and read the Word and hear the Word preached. Uh, the Word is what we need today, and that's why we try to fill our services with the Word. Speaking of the Word, if you've got a Bible with you, go with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28 today. If you are with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles that are there somewhere in the chair racks in front of you. So if you will hunt through one of those chair racks, you could probably find uh, a Bible, and we are going to be in Genesis 28, as I said. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, and so you should be able to find it with relative ease and make your way to the passage of Scripture that we will be in. We'll also have the uh, passages of Scripture that we read together up on the screen behind us as well. I think that you and I go through our daily lives with our normal routines, going to the places that we go, getting up, getting ready, going to work, going to school, taking the kids to school, just doing the things that we normally do, and we, we do these things as if the things that we can see with our eyes, the things that we can hear with our ears, the things that we can, that we can touch with our hands, we, we live as if those are the only things that are real. When we are by ourselves, we think we are alone. But the world as the Bible describes it to us, is a world in which there is more to reality than what you and I can immediately sense. There is a spiritual dimension to reality that is always present. And the Bible tells us it's there, it pulls back the curtain to show us that it's there, and yet we live with an intellectual apprehension and belief that, yes, there are spiritual realities, there's more than what we can taste and touch and hear and feel, but we live oblivious to it. But that reality, whether you are aware of it or not, that reality is always present. And in fact, God is always present. Though we live blissfully unaware of this reality most of the time, it is every bit as real as the world that you can touch. And sometimes, we see examples of it in the Bible, sometimes this this reality, this unseen realm breaks through into what we think is, is all we've got of reality. It, it, it breaks through and shows us what's actually there. It happened to Moses. Moses has, has had to run for his life. He's the one who has been raised in the very lap of luxury. He has been raised in the royal family. He is 
wealthy, he has power, he has everything that you could want, but then he gets on the wrong side of things through the decision that he makes, and so he has to run for his life, and this person who has been raised in Pharaoh's household with all the privileges that come with it, now finds himself as a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian. So he's leading his father-in-law's flocks through this land, and he's by himself, he's alone, when that realm breaks through. And he sees out of the corner of his eye a bush that is on fire, and he's curious about this, as one would be, and he stops to take a look at it and sees that this bush that is on fire is not consumed by the fire. And then he hears a voice telling him to take off his shoes because the ground on which he is standing is holy ground. Heaven has broken through. Well, today we are going to see Jacob, who we have been studying together over these past few weeks, have his own encounter with this spiritual reality as it breaks through into his reality. Now, where were we when we last left off with Jacob? Well, Jacob has just swindled his father and his brother out of a blessing. And because he has just done this, his his twin brother, who is older by a minute or so, his twin brother has vowed to kill him as soon as his father passes away. And his mother, Rebecca, remember Jacob is her favorite, she finds out that Esau intends to kill him as soon as his father passes away. And so she passes this word along to Jacob and tells him that he's going to have to get out of Dodge pretty quickly. So when you've got to leave quickly, you've got to have some sort of, of, of pretext for why you're going to go, why you're going to why you're going to go on the run without tipping everyone off. And so uh, it it appears that the pretext for him leaving is going back to their homeland to find a wife. In fact, that's what Isaac tells him to do. His father tells him to do. He, He leaves with his father's blessing to go back to his uncle Laban's household. But along the way, he is going to have an experience that is going to alter the course of his life. We want to see that experience beginning in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 28. If you're there with me, look at verse 11. The Word of God says this, And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth 
be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Imagine Jacob traveling on a way that was probably somewhat unfamiliar to him. Remember that this is not a leisurely journey. Jacob is running for his life. And though Jacob's father Isaac is wealthy beyond all imagination, really, Jacob seems to have left with not much. And here he is traveling into the night when the sun sets and he realizes that he is going to have to stop. And apparently there are no hotels along the way. And so he's going to have to find a place where he's going to bed down for the night, where he's going to have to prop up the blankets that he's probably brought with him against a stone for his pillow. And as he falls asleep, the Bible tells us that his sleep is anything but peaceful. In his sleep, he has a dream, and in that dream, there is a ladder or a stairway of some kind that is connecting heaven and earth. And Jacob sees that the angels of God are ascending and descending on this ladder. It's a, it's a strange vision. And not only does he see this connection between his reality and this spiritual reality that is everywhere present at all times, not only is he able to see this connection, but he sees the Lord standing at the top of this ladder, and the Lord has a message for him. Jacob has heard the stories of the Lord's voice to his grandfather. He has heard the stories of the Lord's voice to his father Isaac. Imagine what it would have been like growing up in Jacob's family. If you have family that you get together with, sometimes for family reunions or things like that, one of the things that often happens at these family reunions is that you tell stories. And your family probably has its own lore. It has its own collection of stories that you tell over and over again about your time of growing up, about your Uncle Bob, or whatever it is that you tell. Imagine the stories they would tell each other. Let me tell you about the time the Lord spoke to me, and I left my homeland to bring us here. Or imagine Jacob hearing his father Isaac recount to him about the time that they were being taken for the sacrifice, where God stayed his hand, or remember his grandmother Sarah recounting the time that she laughed and got called out for it and named Isaac. I ne- that's why I named your father. He laughs because all these future generations are going to laugh with me. I mean, 
Jacob has heard these stories over and over again, and yet those stories belong to other people. Those encounters with God are things that have happened to his grandmother and his grandfather and his father, but they've never happened to him until now. The Lord speaks to Jacob, and when he speaks to him, he repeats the covenant promises that he has made to Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father. And remember, there are two main categories to this covenant that he's made with his ancestors. God is promising those people, them a, a people and a place. If you wanted to put all of the, if you wanted to classify all of the promises they were given, they would go in those two buckets. You're going to have a people and a place. You're going to have descendants who are as numerous as the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky and look around everything you see to the north and to the south and to the east and the west. All of this is going to belong to your ancestors. And God had promised Jacob's mother, Rebekah, that these covenant promises would belong to Jacob. And now the Lord is telling Jacob in this vision that he will be with him like he was with his grandfather and as he was with his father. You see, if Jacob is going to, if Jacob is going to live a life with God, and remember, Jacob isn't so much living life with God. You might say that Jacob up to this point has been living a life in opposition to God. God has made promises to him, but Jacob is living life on his own terms. He's manipulating situations. He's conniving to get what he wants. He's hurting people left and right, including himself. But if Jacob is going to, to live life with God and follow him and do the things that God has, got going, has called him to do, then he needs to have a rock-solid assurance that the God of his grandfather and the God of his father is with him too. He needs to know that God's presence is there. When Jacob wakes up, he realizes that this is no ordinary dream. He has just had a supernatural encounter with the presence of God. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. I just pulled, pulled the car over, pulled the sleeping bag out, and did not realize that I was sleeping at the very gate of heaven. Jacob wants to mark this place. He wants to commemorate this place. And so he does something special. Look at verse 18 if you're there. The Bible says, so early in the morning, imagine dawn is breaking. Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear 
so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Do you see why I say this is a life-changing experience that he has in this moment? If he's going to move on and live life with God, then he has to have an encounter with the presence of God. So Jacob repurposes his, his pillow into a pillar. What do you do in the ancient world to commemorate something like this? You use something with the materials that are around you. And so he takes something that's naturally occurring and stands it up. And then he anoints it with oil. And, and we know from reading the Bible in the Old Testament that the things there are anointed with oil are set apart as sacred Jacob realizes that he is on holy ground. He makes these vows to God, which we'll pick up in a few moments. But there's a truth that I want us to extract from this passage that I want you to see this morning that is true for him at this time. If you belong to Christ, this is just as true for you in 2023 as well. That truth is this. God promises His people the blessing of His presence. That's your promise as well. God promises His people who are going about their daily lives, doing the laundry, getting the oil changed, singing off-key in their cars to the radio, going to work day in and day out, just doing the normal stuff of life. God promises those people the blessing of His presence. The Lord makes some amazing promises to Jacob that we read in the Bible today. He reiterates this, this idea of passing down these covenant blessings from his grandfather to his father and now to him. He's assuring Jacob that, that he is going to be part of this promise to have all of these descendants and that even the very place where he was sleeping for the night is one day going to be deeded to him. It's going to be in his name. There are all sorts of spectacular promises, but perhaps the most spectacular promise that he gives him, the most precious statement that the Lord makes to him is found in verse 15. Look at it again. The very first words of verse 15. Behold. I am with you. Imagine how it would change your life to live and believe that the Lord says, I am with you. 
The Lord wanted Jacob to know in a real and personal way that he was with him, that his presence was there. And he wanted him to know that so much that he opens up the heavens to see a connection with earth. He peels the curtain back to see that reality is far more than what Jacob thought it was. It would be amazing to have the experience that Jacob had, would it not? Wouldn't you like to have an experience like that? I mean, we think we want experiences like that, but every time somebody has an experience like that, the Bible always notes that they're basically terrified. (laughs) That was great, but when can it be over? It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When you think about it, we have an even greater experience of heaven touching earth. So that that reality breaks through into our reality. We experience the presence of God. Nowhere and at no time has God's presence been more clearly revealed than in the person of Jesus Christ. Because when the promise that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come, there is a name given to Him, and that name is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. We're talking about the presence of God. And Jesus, you may not have thought of it, or you may have, but Jesus personally connects his presence to this story. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, at the beginning of the Gospels, the Gospels are those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the beginning of the New Testament, they are biographies of Jesus. They are stories with a purpose. And one of the things that we see Jesus doing in the Gospels at the beginning of His earthly ministry is gathering together His 12 disciples. And as He's gathering together His 12 disciples, word starts to spread. And there's a man by the name of Philip who goes and grabs a guy named Nathaniel. And he brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And so Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus. He's never met Jesus before. He's going to meet him here for the first time as as Philip brings him. And Jesus gives Nathaniel a greeting that basically indicates that Jesus already knows him. And that's puzzling to Nathaniel. Because have we met? No. No. And as they're having a conversation, Jesus puzzles them even further because as Jesus is explaining this, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree when Philip came to get you. Well, now, if Nathaniel thought his mind was blown before, now it's fully blown. And he makes some statements uh, uh, about, about Christ 
says, surely you're the Son of God, (laughs) the Son of Man, the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus basically goes, you think that was amazing, that that I saw you under this fig tree? You haven't seen anything yet. He says this to him in verses 50 and 51 of John 1. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now let's remember something here. Some of us may not be familiar with the Bible or may not have full Bible fluency, but we've got to remember Nathaniel is a Jew. The Old Testament to us, it's not the Old Testament to them. This is their heritage. Okay, he's well-versed in this. So when Jesus says, you're going to see... The, you're going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It is not going to take him more than a second to make the connection that Jesus is making for him. And in declaring this both to Nathaniel and to his other disciples, because when verse 51 says, truly, truly, uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the you is plural. He's not just speaking to Nathaniel. He's speaking to the disciples as a whole. He's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, when he says that, Jesus is telling them that like Jacob was, they are going to experience the presence of God. In fact, they already are. Truly, the Lord is in this place, and we didn't know it. When Jesus makes this connection to Nathanael, he is declaring that he himself is the connection between heaven and earth. And he isn't standing at the top of the ladder. He has come down. Spiritual reality has pressed into and broken through our reality in blood and flesh, and bone. What Jesus is telling them is that their experiences with Jesus, with himself, would far surpass anything that even the revered father of the nation had ever experienced. Think about that. Their expectation is that that these that these fathers of the nation, we're going to see that, that Jacob's going to have his name changed in a, in a couple of weeks to Israel, and that's where the nation is going to get its name from. And so, so people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these are the revered fathers of the nation who people would assume have an experience with God that no one else is going to have. And yet Jesus says, heaven has once again broken through, The presence of God is in your midst. You're going to see things that you would not imagine 
possible. And when we get to the end of book, the book of John, the Bible's going to say that, the, that the, all the books and all the libraries in the world can't even contain all the things that Jesus did. One person writing about the passage puts it this way. What the disciples are promised then is heaven-sent confirmation that the one they have acknowledged as the Messiah has been appointed by God. Every Jew honored Jacob or Israel, the father of the twelve tribes. Now everyone must recognize that this same God has appointed Jesus his Messiah. We don't have Jesus physically present with us in our day. And this was a point of contention that Jesus wanted to talk with his disciples about. Because Jesus has been dropping hints to them. He's been trying to prepare them for the eventuality that he is, he is not going to be with them at their side forever. And they're growing more and more concerned about that and in John 14, I think it is, Jesus tells him, trust me, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And as, the, as, as he develops that thought for them and the rest of the Bible develops that thought for them, we come to realize that the presence of Jesus is with us now in his spirit indwelling his people. You want to talk about an experience of the blessing of the presence of God? He's closer than you ever imagined. He is within you. Let that sink in. You're never alone. We see in these verses the blessings of God's presence. I don't have the time to talk through all of them. That was an earlier version of this sermon. Things like protection. God says, I'll keep you. Things like provision. Jacob says, if you'll give me food, things to wear, Okay, so God, he's recognizing that God is promising provision for him. He's promising his peace. God's peace is a blessing of his presence. So these, God's, God's presence brings these gifts, these blessings, protection, provision, peace. And the Bible promises every one of those blessings to you. Jesus himself said, consider the lilies of the field, how... They don't have to do a thing, and their father clothes them. Won't he do that for you? Wherever you and I go, throughout the, the most mundane, repetitive, boring tasks of life, spiritual reality is all around us. God is present. And there is no point in time where we cannot say, surely the Lord is in this place. And we did not know it. 
So how ought we, as Christians, how ought we as the people of God to respond to these blessings of God's presence? I want to suggest two ways that we ought to respond. Number one, we give God our allegiance. Note again what Jacob says in verse 21. He says, well, he says at the beginning, I'll back it up to to verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, will keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. It's not the God of my grandfather. It's not just the God of my father. The Lord's going to be my God. What Jacob is doing here is swearing his allegiance to Yahweh. And in light of all the blessings that God has promised us in Christ, we also are called to swear our allegiance to King Jesus. Jesus calls us to forsake it all and follow Him. And church, it is our joyful duty to do so. To surrender our total allegiance to Emmanuel, God with us. Jacob expresses this allegiance and a vow to give back to God a portion of what God had given to him. He said, if you're going to bless me in this way, if you're going to lavish all of these blessings on, on me, then I'm going to give Back to you, a tenth. No, I'm not going to turn this into a giving message. Everybody's like, I knew we'd get here. But I will say this. You have time, treasure, and talent, and it belongs to God. It ain't yours. And we don't give a little bit of it to get off our backs. Under King Jesus, we offer our whole selves as living sacrifices. And again, it is our joyful privilege to do so. Let me say a word briefly to those of us who may be here this morning who are not Christians. First of all, we're glad you're here. We're the kind of church that wants people who aren't Christians to be here. Because we want you to find what we found. It's true, Jesus calls you to total allegiance to Him. And there are people who are living their whole lives on the fence about Jesus because they understand Jesus doesn't do things in half measures. He doesn't say, hey, if you've got the time and it's convenient, follow me. Jesus doesn't say, if things work out and you can add me in, 
I'd love for us to have a relationship. Jesus says that you might have to choose between me and your spouse. And if those things are competing, you may have to choose me. So you need to understand that that Jesus calls us to radical discipleship, radical following. We don't get to to throw a couple things his way so so we're good with the big man. But think about this, friends. Consider the lengths to which God has gone to be with you. There's a cost to Emmanuel, God with us. God the Father sent His only Son to take on human flesh, to be born, to live, and then die. He gave His Son to be brutally crucified on a Roman cross for all the world to see and jeer so that he could rise three days later and offer forgiveness of sins to all who call upon his name. Jesus offers you right now in this moment his saving presence. He will forgive you of your sins. He will restore your broken relationship with your Creator if you will follow. If you will repent of your sin and turn in faith to the One who has come to offer you His presence. There is no other stairway to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only connection between heaven and earth. So, how do we respond to the blessing of God's presence? We, we swear our total allegiance to Him. But secondly, and lastly, we believe all God's promises. God says this to Jacob in verse 15 of of chapter 28. God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now think about that for a moment. God isn't saying, and then I'll leave you, and then you can do your thing. That's not what God is saying. But God is saying, I've given you all of these promises And some of them seem pretty far-fetched. And some of them still seem a little hard to believe. And Jacob's got to be realizing, I'm not that great of a guy either. So maybe God is going to abandon me at some point and realize this guy is, is, is beyond my saving work. But God is saying, no, I'm not going to leave you until I have done every single thing I've promised. And I want you to hear this this morning as well, Christians. God is not going to leave you until you get every single thing coming to you. And you've got a lot coming to you in a good way. God has promised to shower you with blessings in Christ Jesus 
for all eternity. He says that, that, that eye has not seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for you. So he gives you these sprinkles, these breadcrumbs of promises throughout the Scripture that, that spark our imagination and make us, make us wonder, and it's going to be better than you can even imagine. Not one God's promises is he going to fail to keep for you. The Bible promises that though the physical presence of Jesus has left us and God is now indwelling us by His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to descend that ladder one more time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 8 to 18 says this, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. Well, that sounds like spiritual realities I can't see. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now regardless of your interpretation of when or how this happens, shelve that for a minute and just remember that phrase, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Do you know what that's a promise of? Presence. You are going to spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of the mundanity of taking out the trash day in and day out and the slog of life, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Lord, the first thing we want to do is simply confess our spiritual blindness. We believe we're alone when we're not alone. We, we forget that reality is more than what we can taste and see and touch. So I pray that you would awaken us once again, to the reality of heaven breaking in. I pray that you would help us to give ourselves wholly to you in faith. Lord, if there is someone here who does not know Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that this moment would be the moment that heaven breaks through into their reality, that they see with the eyes of their heart, yes, their sinfulness, but the surpassing greatness of the work of Christ. And I pray that they would turn to him and be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.